How you doing? Good. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 4, which is kind of about halfway through uh, your New Testament, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me uh, in a moment or so. Uh, while I was away last weekend, uh, Ludo uh, was speaking uh, on the resurrection and talking about working through some of the arguments, uh, some of the reasons that we believe the resurrection happened. Uh, I was listening back to his message while I was flying on a connecting flight between uh, Toronto and Ottawa on uh, Tuesday, and I was very much blessed by what Ludo shared. And uh, if you have any questions uh, about the resurrection, or if you know anybody who has any questions about, well, did it really happen? You know, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Then I'd thoroughly recommend you listen to what Ludo shared last week and share it with other people as well, because he just built such a strong and profound argument that uh, gives us great confidence that this wonderful kind of foundation upon which our faith is built on actually happened. You know, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, that might sound ludicrous, but that's really what we believe, that Jesus, not only did he die for us, but he rose again from the dead and is now alive today. We don't worship a dead God, but one who is fully alive. Uh, and we're going to spend the next, uh, the next few weeks building up to Easter Sunday, talking in a little bit more detail about, about the resurrection. Um, and we're going to be working through um, a statement that we'll find on the screen in a, in a moment. If my phone can... There we go. So, this, says, uh, this is from the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's a question that asks us, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Uh, and then it gives an answer, which is in three parts. Um, so first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, by his, thank you. By his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to work through this kind of line by line to really get right into the depths of our heart that we understand what this means for us. We believe that the resurrection changes everything for us as believers in Jesus changes how we live now, how we relate to God, and we're going to work through this and let it really speak to us. And the verse we're going to look at today uh, is from uh, Romans chapter 4, which is one verse, verse 25, which says, who, so we're talking about Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that every Sunday we get to come and celebrate uh, this wonder of who you are and what you've done for us. That it's not just Easter Sunday that is Resurrection Sunday, but we know that every day is a Resurrection Day for us. That every day we live in the good of your wonderful life, death and resurrection. And we can all say together that as believers in you, we've been raised 
with you. And we've received some wonderful, powerful, life-changing benefits now that we can enjoy. And I pray that just as we work through these messages, and this morning in particular, I pray you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you just come right now, fill us again, open our hearts, open our eyes to see you, to see your grace and your love for us. More fully, we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the downsides of living in, in Amsterdam is, is the greyness. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there's a long period sometime between October and March, and then you know quite a bit of the rest of the year as well, where it's, it's a bit grey. Um, now, I'm from England, so I'm not one to talk because it's pretty grey there sometimes as well. But you can sometimes go what feels like weeks on end where you think, I'm not, does the sun still exist? <laughs> Has it just gone? Is that it now? And uh, I noticed on, uh, on Friday morning when I, when I was cycling from here back to our home, no, Friday evening, cycling from here back to our, our home, and I normally, on my cycle route, take a bit of a shortcut through the park here. Um, and in the winter, there's no one there, and it's quite quiet. A few tourists who are lost... A um, few tourists on bikes who are trying to ram into me, but most of the time it's, it's fairly fine. But this Friday, the sun had come out, and the park was just teeming, was just full of people. And as I cycled all the way through the city home, there were people everywhere. It's like everybody kind of come out of hibernation for the first time after the winter, kind of like, oh, I can come out now. The sun is out. And, uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, living here is quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember the sudden joy of what it is to live in this city. Um, and perhaps, in a way, perhaps the most vivid way to understand the resurrection of Jesus is to think of, of the sun coming out, is to think of, of a sunrise, is to think of the sun coming up on a, on a new day, the new dawn. And it's, actually, if you, if you look into the the Bible, uh, the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them, the story they tell about the resurrection, the story starts with the disciples getting up uh, and going to his grave. Well, it wasn't his disciples, it was the women uh, uh, who went to his grave as the sun was coming up. So it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and then when they got to the tomb, they discovered it was empty, that the sun had risen in both senses. The sun had come up, and Jesus had risen. He was alive. And the Bible's doing that. It's not just factually telling us the story, that that's the time of day that they went. It's, it's trying to get us to understand that the same profound effects that the sun has, turning uh, uh, night and dark into day and light, is exactly the same as what happened now that Jesus has risen, that the night has gone, that darkness has been eradicated, that the day has come, that it's no longer winter anymore, but it's summer. Life has come because Jesus, he's alive. He's wonderfully alive. And actually, um, there's a few historians that think that the, the very first Christians the early church, is that they often on a Sunday, they would meet at dawn. <laughs> they would gather together first thing in the morning to see the sun come up together, 
to celebrate it together. They'd have their services like we're doing now, um, and it'd be a bit easier because they were in the Middle East, but they would have their services outside with the sun coming up because they wanted to remember and celebrate the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, and that changed everything for them, and it changes everything for us. This new dawn has sprung up for humanity. And yet often, all around us, and sometimes even for us, we can choose to live in darkness. Even as Christians, we can choose to live a bit like we're living under, under an eclipse, you know, where the moon has come in front of the sun, and kind of momentarily darkness has come. Like We know it's there, but yet somehow it's, there's still darkness in our lives. And as Christians, we can often live like that. We know that Jesus is alive. We read the Bible and, and we, we know this story, but yet somehow we don't live with the implications of that really affecting us and changing us. We're kind of living as though he hasn't risen, as though it's still darkness. It doesn't mean that, you know, we all walk through challenges and troubles in our life which can be painful and difficult. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just have to be permanently happy all the time. But it does mean you can, you can live with the benefits of who Jesus is and what he's done. That you can know joy in all circumstances of life. That you can know even the most difficult moments, a wonderful assurance of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And the resurrection helps us to see that. So that's what we're going to look at today. What it, what it means that one of the benefits that Jesus has risen. Uh, and the first one we're going to look at is from this verse from Romans 4, that he was raised for our justification. Uh, and we're going to look at a few, we're going to look at that word and study that and look at a few uh, uh, kind of meanings of this word justification. What does it mean? What does it mean to be justified? First of all, it's worth saying that justification is, it's more than just forgiveness, Right? We, we understand that about, about being Christian, that now we're, we're forgiven. Um, but justification is more than just that. Now, forgiveness is obviously a wonderfully important thing that we understand, that all of us have come to God as sinners who need forgiveness. That's what the Bible teaches us, that all of us have fallen short of God's standard, that we need to come and find his grace to find forgiveness. But yet, this word justification means more than that. It's, in many ways, it's, it's a declaration. Justification is the act of God declaring us free from guilt and acceptable to him. It's like we come before the judge and he says, you're innocent. You don't need to feel guilty anymore. You're free. For a believer, guilt and shame has no place anymore. That He's come to set us free. We can walk in wonderful liberty now. That's why we call our church Liberty Church. Because we want to walk in the good of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we want to share that message with our city. That true liberty can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's where we find real freedom. It's a declaration. It's also a gift. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, it says we're justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift from God given to us. A gift that's purchased by Christ and given to us. And it's, it's a gift, I guess it's um, most gifts that you receive are kind of, they're sort of proportional, right? 
you, you buy, um, actually, Joe normally, Joe's the kind of the giver of gifts in our family. Like when it comes to birthdays and Christmases, she's the one that remembers that it's people's birthdays and buys them gifts. And I'm the one that forgets. So Joe's good at this. But normally how it works is, you know, if, if we were to give a gift to my sister, for instance, you, you would think what would be a reasonable amount to spend on her? Probably based on what would be a reasonable amount that she would have spent on us. Now, it's not like there's a spreadsheet with a calculation going on, but do you get what I mean? When you give a gift to someone, you don't, you don't just go and think, oh, well, they, they brought me you know, a toaster or whatever, so I'm going to buy them a Ferrari. Like, it, that's not how it works. I mean, maybe that is how it should work, because that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? But that's, we give gifts with a, a, a kind of a reason and a logic behind them. We think them through. And yet the gift, this gift that we've received from Jesus doesn't work like that. It's not proportional. It's not based at all on what we've done, but based completely on what Jesus has done for us. It's a lavish gift that you can't measure or count. And if you try to, you wouldn't ever be able to get to the depths, to the end of it. It's just a huge, phenomenal gift that we've all received from Jesus, his wonderful grace. And it's, it's received through faith, it says in Galatians 2, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. See, our salvation depends not on any good works that we've done at all. Not by anything we've done to earn or merit his favor in any way. And again, this is one of these truths that most of you as believers will know this, but yet you forget this. And I know that because I forget this. <laughs> I forget his grace. I forget what he's done. And I, I, I quickly flip back into this mentality of I need to, I need to perform. I need, I need to earn it. I, I need to, to somehow win this. And you can't. It's a gift given to you. It's gracious, loving gift that depends completely on undeserved mercy and grace. That's what it depends on, completely. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast not a result of anything you've done, but everything that Jesus has done. A wonderful gift that we've received, that we're justified now, that God looks upon us and has written this declaration over our lives that we're fully acceptable to him. <laughs> that he's poured out his love on us and that the Father now wants to know us and have intimate relationship with us. And also, it's, it's more than just a cancellation. It's more than a, a cancellation of unrighteousness, but it's actually what we, it's a, a righteousness that we now receive. It's not just that our sins are forgiven, but we now receive the righteousness of Jesus. 
So the same way the father looks upon the son and says, yes, he is righteous, he's justified, I love him. The father looks on us, says, yes, they're justified, I love them. This wonderful truth that takes place that the same way the father looks upon the son, looks upon Jesus with this utter love and adoration, he looks upon us in the same way. This wonderful exchange has taken place. You know, when I was in Canada, when I landed at the airport, I took my, my euros to the exchange desk and exchanged them for Canadian dollars, um, which had a picture of the English queen on there, which I was, oh, made me feel very much at home. What's the queen doing there? But if I was to turn up at that exchange desk and, and, and just bring, you know, empty my pockets of, you know, this kind of snotty tissue from the plane and whatever other rubbish, you know, chocolate bar wrappers and just put it on the thing and say, can you, can you give me some money? Here's some trash. Give, give me some money. Then I don't think I would have got very much unless the Canadian dollar wasn't doing very well in the currency market. But they, they're not going to give me anything, right? But yet that's what happens with us. This wonderful exchange has taken place that we come to Jesus and the best we can offer is, is a filthy rag, is, is rubbish, is, is trash. That's what we offer to God. We have nothing within ourselves that in any way has earned his love. And we can come to him and bring him like a, a dirty nappy. And yet he gives us this, wonder, this, this immeasurable gift in exchange. That, that's what it's like. This wonderful gift that we've now received. Because sometimes you um, it's, it's a question that people ask me, sometimes I ask people the same question. I'll say to someone, how's your relationship with God? Has anyone ever asked you that? How's your relationship with God? How's your walk with God? Um, and, and if you're anything like me, I'm sure most of you, depending on what mood you're in, will probably answer it in different ways. If you're feeling a bit proud, you might want to defend yourself. Oh, it's going, it's going quite well, thank you very much. Ugh. I prayed for seven hours yesterday. Ugh. <laughs> or you might feel, you know, you might feel a bit embarrassed or guilty. And you think, oh goodness, I can't remember. That, you know, when did I last open my Bible? When did I last pray? Um, and when I did, I felt, it felt so wooden and so cold. That's that kind of question how is your relationship with God going? For most of us, it probably makes us feel perhaps even a little bit guilty, a little bit embarrassed. We feel like the person's asking us because they want to check up on us, that we're actually fulfilling the requirements. You know, are we really a Christian? That's how we can feel when people ask us that question. But actually, it's kind of the wrong question to ask. <laughs> how is your relationship with God? Actually, the important question is, how is... Jesus' relationship with the Father. Because you're wonderfully in Christ now. So that's what matters. That the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. That you're, you're called into the midst of this beautiful Trinitarian relationship. How the Father, the Son and the Spirit, how they all love one another. You're caught up right in the center of that. So your answer to that question, how is your relationship with God doing? It's going amazing. It's going wonderful because the Father still loves the Son. And you've received this wonderful imputed righteousness now that the Father looks on you with the same 
love and desire that he has for his son. So the idea that we should come and feel, oh, I feel so embarrassed about my relationship with God. It feels so weak and so feeble. <laughs> Jesus, it, the, the love of God is all over you. We, we just get to swim in it and enjoy it. Now, that, that doesn't mean, what I'm not saying is, therefore, you don't need to pray. It's, I think it's important to, to work on your relationship with God. I want to get to know him better. I want to pray, I want to read my Bible, but I, but I want to now because God's done this amazing work in my heart. There's a, there's a quote here that will come up on the screen. I'll keep going. Here we go, from uh, John Bunyan, who's from Bedford, where I grew up, so, so he's, a, he's a friend of mine. But, I mean, he died 500 years ago, but still. Who said this, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms better news the gospel brings it bids me fly and gives me wings which is a beautiful picture that when we receive this wonderful gospel this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you when you meet him when you encounter him something happens within you that you think goodness I just I want to follow him now this amazing thing has happened in my life that empowers me, equips me, enables me to follow him. And if ever that question, ever that, that guilt comes, because, because that, that's, that's, pro that's probably the number one way that I'm tempted, and it will be true for most of us here, the number one way the enemy will try and trip you up is to tell you that you're not good enough, that you need to work harder, even I'll find I'll, I'll come to God in prayer and the enemy will be, at that moment will try and tempt me and say, you can't pray because of this and that, these things you've done, therefore you can't. Or at the end of it, a sense of, well, is that it? Is that all you've got? But that's not God. Not at all. All of us can stand on this wonderful assurance now that we're justified, that we're acceptable to God just as we are and each of us have received his grace and his mercy now how does the resurrection play into all of this well that verse Romans 4 said we were raised for our justification now if you know your Bibles you'll think hold on a second I thought justification was a work of the cross how does the resurrection Play, play into that because you know it says in Romans 5 verse 9 we were justified by his blood in Romans 3 it said we were justified by his death now I don't think there needs to be any contradiction here <laughs> we, you, you, you can't separate out the death and resurrection of Jesus even the, the life death and resurrection of Jesus it would be easy to kind of divide them and say but what about this and what about that how does that work but all of it gives us this wonderful salvation that we get to enjoy. It's all the power of God for us. But it does say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, this is Paul talking here in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. See, if, if Jesus 
hadn't been raised in the dead, then we'd have a problem. Because it says in Romans 6, the wages of sin are death. So if Jesus was dead, then we'd have to question, well, did, did Jesus sin? <laughs> did, did he, was he, was he after all not sinless? Had, had, was there some error in his life that means he was now, or is now dead? But Jesus is perfectly righteous. Death couldn't hold him, so he's alive. It says in, in Acts 2 that, that death literally wasn't able to hold him, wasn't able to keep him, that death is now overcome because Jesus is risen. And also, our faith would be futile if Jesus wasn't raised. It would kind of suggest that his attempt at atonement, his attempt at this sacrifice given himself for us, somehow that that wouldn't be enough to satisfy God. That somehow our sins were too great and his death wasn't enough. The uh, theologian Jonathan Edwards said this, should come up on the screen in a moment. I'll just read it out if it doesn't come up, I'm sure it'll appear. It says, for if Christ were not risen, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, it would be evidence that God was not yet satisfied for our sins. But now the resurrection is God declaring his satisfaction. <laughs> Jesus rising from the dead is the Father saying, it's enough, it's enough. You know, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And the resurrection is the Father's wonderful amen to that. Yes, it's finished, it's done. Jesus' death was enough for us, more than enough for us. Without the resurrection, we'd still be dead in our trespasses. We wouldn't be alive in Christ. But, but the, I guess the point of this message today is what the resurrection gives us is, is final, conclusive, everlasting proof. So when that temptation comes to, to doubt, yourself to think, I'm, I'm a, oh, I've, you know, I've, blown, I've done, I've sinned too much. I've failed too much, you know. I've, when that temptation comes, when that guilt comes, when that shame comes, we look to the resurrection and we know, no, he's alive now. That means the Father has said it was enough that he, that he looks upon the Son and he says, yes, you're an acceptable sacrifice. And he looks upon us and says, you're completely forgiven now, completely loved by God. When I was listening to Ludo's message uh, last week, I was flying from Toronto, uh, from Ottawa, uh, coming into Toronto Airport. And as, as you come in um, to Toronto Airport, you, you fly over this huge graveyard and I looked out my window, and it was just one of those graveyards that just kind of seems to go on for, for a really long time. And, and, and you're kind of getting lower and lower, and you could see you know, a few groups hanging around graves, and the rest of it was completely empty, just tombstone after tombstone. And I'm listening to Ludo debunking all the, the empty tomb theories. <laughs> Why people have argued that the tomb was empty when those women went there and found it, when they found that Jesus was 
was alive, that he'd been raised from the dead. And, and I, I laughed on the plane, because it, it was just funny. I'm listening to theories uh, that people try and argue to suggest, you know, the disciples came and they stole his body, or something else happened, that the, the, the Romans kind of stole the body away. And I was laughing, because I'm looking down at this graveyard below me, thinking, he's not there. <laughs> he's not in the grave anymore. He's risen. He's alive. What wonderful good news that we have. And what it gives you is this incredible assurance. It's just this solid ground for us to stand upon. This wonderful, just deep, profound knowledge that yes, he's alive now. And that means his grace is more than enough for us. It means the Father is, looks upon the Son and loves him deeply and loves us. We have this confidence that our sin has been fully, finally atoned for. There's nothing left to be done to pay for your sin. There's nothing left to be done. Do you, do you get that? Past, present, future sin, the, the mistakes that you've made, the mistakes that you're making, the mistakes that you will make, there's nothing left to be done to pay for those things that Jesus bore it all upon himself upon the cross so that you could now have perfect, complete forgiveness, that you could now be completely and wonderfully justified, that this judge could declare you as innocent, as free. Wonderful good news. In 1 Peter verse uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As, you, as a believer in Jesus, it means you died with him and were raised again with him. That you've been born again to this new and living hope a sure, steadfast, solid hope. That's, that's who you are now. You're born again. It's a new you has been born. A new reality is working out in your life because of what Jesus has done for you. We finish by reading these words from Ephesians 2, which I think is probably just the best way to conclude this. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, which is true of every single one of us, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. The sun has risen. <laughs> I could cycle through the park on Friday morning and just feel the warmth of the sun and once I got rid of the irritation of tourists getting in my way, I could enjoy just the warmth of the sun on my face. The sun has risen. As a believer in Jesus, every day you get to walk in the wonderful warmth of that 
wonderful truth that a new dawn has come, that you're now completely, completely justified by his grace, a total free gift. There's nothing you've done to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. His grace is on you permanently. Wonderful love of the Father lavished on us. Let me pray, and then we'll share communion together. If you're happy to, why don't you just stand to your feet? Um, Let me pray for us. Uh, The Bible translator William Tyndale, he said, where the spirit is, there it is always summer. And I thank you, God, that that's true. That Holy Spirit, that you're here. And you've, uh, you're alive in our heart to show us that it's summer now for us. And I, I know for uh, many of us, for many different reasons, it won't feel like that. To, uh, what we think is the reality of our life around us feels much more like winter. We're, we're aware of much more darkness than we are of light. And yet the, what's, what's really true, the actual reality is that it's summer now. It doesn't mean our life suddenly becomes perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have issues we need to work out. But we get to stand on this wonderful, solid, firm foundation of your love for us. And we can know this immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness towards us now. Not dependent on anything we've done or thought or said, but on everything you've done. And I I pray, Holy Spirit, that you've just come and make that alive to our hearts again. God, where we've just forgotten, where we've just been walking in a a bit of a gloom or maybe just ambivalent. We've just kind of, uh, just not really, you know, life's fine, I'm not really... I've been a bit blasé about this truth. Let let it just come alive in our hearts again right now. This wonderful richness of your love towards us. Let it come and be a a, a wonderful hope to us. A joy to us, a peace to us, a, a delight to us, I pray. Thank you, that's what you do, Holy Spirit. You You come and you point our hearts towards Jesus. I pray you do that right now. Come and point our hearts back towards our wonderful Savior. I just want to pray for anyone here that that isn't a follower of Jesus. I pray, God, that you'd speak to them as well. I pray you'd help them to to repent, which means to, to turn your back. Ask for forgiveness on those things that you've done that you know aren't pleasing to God, even when you've feel like you've sinned against yourself, but you've definitely sinned against God. I pray that they would know your forgiveness, that they'd be able to declare in their hearts that you're their saviour, you're their lord, their king. They commit themselves to living lives, to follow you. And I pray you'd come and flood them right now with your love. Let them know your wonderful goodness, I pray. Amen.